Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm here with my brother, Byron, and my other brother, Gary. Uh, we have a nice episode for you guys this week. Uh, we have Neil Melanson on. I'm uh, looking forward to the interview. Guys, how you doing? Doing well, great. Doing good. Doing great, brother. You know, the crazy <laughs> thing is we're brothers and not one of us look alike. You know, a lot of people say that I'm the good looking one, Joe's the average one, and Byron is the ugly duckling. But uh, uh, Joe and I agree with that, but Byron doesn't. Well, I, I've, I've given up on debating that. Yeah, this episode has, is packed full of uh, great knowledge uh, that, that Neil shares. He's he's really an MMA coach that that focuses a lot on, on grappling. And we kind of get into to how he defines his what he does. But um, And it's hard because he's so diverse in, in what he brings to the table. He studies so many different things. But uh, the guy has a, has a lot of good answers to a lot of questions on, on the phone or, you know, on the mat with him. So, and uh, he's doing a lot of stuff. There's, he's got a lot of instructionals out there and that sort of thing. So um, I'm a big fan of all his work and uh, tracked him down and, and got him again on the show. Um, so yeah, yeah. Great episode coming up, my friends. Yeah, definitely check out his instructionals. Uh, he has definitely changed my game. I've learned so much from just watching his stuff. You know, it's a little different than some of the stuff I've le- learned in jiu-jitsu. It's really helped me expand my game and become better. And, and I tell you, if you just check his stuff out, you will learn. Uh, it's definitely going to help your game out. Guys, I want to run by a quick off-the-mat lesson. And this segment is uh, something that it's a little different, but we have fun with it. Um, j- just... An observation we've had in our regular lives and how we could kind of learn something or, or take that to the mat. And super exciting. My wife and I are, are painting our basement. It's actually pretty boring and pretty tedious. But uh, it came time to, to pick the colors. And we went to the uh, went to Home Depot and the guy gave us some sample paints. And we're going to throw them up on the walls and look at them and see which ones uh, look better. And dragging this back on the mat because it has nothing to do with grappling or jiu-jitsu or anything but think about it as you learn techniques you know let's say you've learned a detail on finishing uh, your triangle choke today in class really try to, to sample that so it's not so like like learning the technique is like standing there in Home Depot and looking at the paint saying oh maybe this one's good but sampling it is actually putting it on the walls and seeing how it looks with a certain light. So get somebody in a triangle while you're rolling that night in class and try to work the, work the new stuff and, and see how it fits your game. See if you can get it to work. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But you've got to sample things in order to, to learn where you want to pursue. And I just thought that because I've never have gotten a little canister of sample and actually painted it on the walls and for just to see how it is. Usually... In the past, we would just take a couple colors home and, and just let her sit on them for a while, and she picks one. I really don't care what color the walls are. But um, it's just take it a little bit more. Yeah, you learned it. Yeah, you've, you've seen it, and you drilled it a little bit. But you've got to do it while you're rolling in order to really get a good sample of, of what you're dealing with. And will it fit in with your game? And it's worth trying. <laughs> Worst thing that happens, it doesn't work. <laughs> Best thing that happens, it works great, and you've found a new move that works great for your game. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, 
if you put a, a sample of blue paint on the wall and you don't like it right away, it might not be because you don't like blue. You just might not like that shade of blue. And if you use the same philosophy when you're doing jujitsu, like you said, Byron, you're sampling these things. You might try a, a choke and it's not working for you right away. It might not be because that choke's not working for you or, or won't work for you, but you just need a different shade of it. You just need to change up some details, maybe try a slightly different variation of it. The best part about like what are you, you're saying there, Byron, is I love it when we learn a move and somebody catches that on me while we're rolling afterwards or I catch it on somebody else. And, and no matter what, I just really respect the person I'm rolling with that actually tries that stuff because I've rolled with a lot of people. We learn something new in class and, and they stay in their comfort zone. They're going to stay with their moves or their A game, as, as Joe likes to call it. And like, like you get both said there, they're not going to learn as much if you don't experiment, if you don't sample. Uh, you need to sample these different moves. And, and it's funny, just the other day I got caught with a pretty new guy of something that we were just training. And I thought it was the best. I had a big smile on my face as I went for a ride. And uh, I was really happy for him. And, and I was happy for myself getting caught in it. It was uh, pretty neat. Yeah, that that's awesome. And Gary, thinking about just training with you, I remember you were showing me some details on leg locks and escaping and, and also attacking, that sort of thing. And then we start rolling. And you start working leg locks with me, like just during the roll. And now I have a new set of tools to try to work with. And I didn't necessarily you know, think that oh, I need to start going here all the time, but you put me there and I had to deal with it and I had new tools to, to do that. So uh, maybe as a training partner, if, if you're dealing, you know, go back to the triangle example, if you, if it, you did some triangle setups or some triangle finishes, maybe you should kind of see if your opponent or your training partner um, is going to do them. So maybe get put in the triangle and see if they would do the new, the new ways to finish them. And, uh, and, and be that type of a training partner that really encourages them to, to try what they're learning. And, you know, it doesn't just make the person who wants to try that better. Like, let's talk about the leg locks. It helped me out a lot, too. It was nice. I remember that day you were talking about we probably did it for 30 minutes straight, and we just kept our legs in each other's bad spots and just worked <laughs> out of them. And, you know, we never went a full 100%. We were probably going, you know, 60%, 70%, but we were working working through bad positions. And, uh, you know, that helped me as much as it helped you. So um, it's definitely going to help everybody, which is the key. We're, we're here to gain knowledge. We're here to get a little bit better each day. That's the real big thing is, getting a little bit better each day and that and that's uh what we're all trying to do here we've got a quote of the week here from a guy named usain bolt i believe he's an athlete in the running category does that sound right gentlemen the sprinting category yeah i hear he's pretty fast (laughs) i hear he's very fast i remember once actually the first race i ran i fell and that's kind of interesting i i so you have literally the world's fastest person, and he's a pretty confident guy. And, and who knows? I don't really know much about him as a person. He, his ego could be through the roof. I don't. I don't know. I don't really know who he's. No, about. he's but a, if he's a good guy. If he, if he was like embarrassed by that to a large degree, he would have not ran another race. So it, like, you're, I remember once my first tournament, I lost. And if that's the way I want to stress on that sort of thing, if that's you, you might be done grappling or, or maybe done competing. Um, you know, get back up and try it again. If, if you think that this is going to be something for you, 
try it again. And just think about, you know, he wouldn't be the fastest person in the world if he didn't run that second race. And right after that second race, he had to have thought about falling the first race. He might think about falling on a lot of races. I don't know uh, what's going through his head, but uh, I'd imagine <laughs> he's got a pretty clear mind or he's, he's, he's somehow focused in. But, man, I just a lot of kids, a lot of people or adults even, try something once don't have success right away and not he didn't just not win or come in second place i bet he came in last place he probably was embarrassed he probably you know probably going pretty fast so he probably rolled a couple times (laughs) but it pretty bad experience now he races for a living you know byron i bet you're right i bet he came in last place but i'll bet he crossed the finish line you know, that's a big determining factor right there for people that succeed and don't. You know, when you when you fall coming right out of the blocks, do you just call it a day and say, well, I guess that this race wasn't meant to be run? Or do you get up and run the race anyway? So I'll, I'll bet you he finished the race. Yeah, I would bet you on that also, Joe. And Joe and I were talking a little bit before the show when we saw the quote from uh, Usain Bolt. And Joe was talking about how fast he runs. And, and Joe <laughs> also runs a sub 10 seconds. Um, just like uh, Usain Bolt. But Joe's is a 10-yard dash, not the the 100 meter. So um, a little bit different, but uh, Joe is is pretty fast. Yep, that's about it. (laughs) I've got a 10-second, 10-yard dash. Well, that was his uh, first race, and and, man, that was probably – that sounds tough. And I don't know (laughs) if if me as a a kid would have wanted to do more races. I almost would guarantee you that uh, my – my dad would have said, yeah, you're doing another race. <laughs> you're yeah. finishing the well, season. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, you know, bring this back to Joe. And Joe probably thinks I'm going to mess with him, but this is true. But, you know, we talk about jiu-jitsu, how hard it is for jiu-jitsu. And, and then Joe, you know, Joe's over 50. And uh, Joe learns, basically here just recently, decided to take up the skateboard, uh, riding skateboard, which is very tough to do. Uh, definitely a lot of injuries are going to happen. You're going to fall a lot. You know, I see these kids, they're falling, they're all scraped up. It's it's not something that most 50-year-olds do. And, and Joe's out there riding all the time. He, uh, I guarantee you, and, and I've never asked Joe, but I know he probably fell his first time out, his second time out. Even today he falls. But um, Joe gets right back up there. He finishes, as Joe said, and, and he keeps going, and he gets better all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I really do respect that Joe took that up at that age, figuring out how to do it. And because, I mean, that's a tough sport and uh you know it's an easy sport to to hurt yourself and and joe's out there learning it and i think that's pretty cool i appreciate that gary i actually try and uh if i'm not falling i'm not trying hard enough byron you you read that book the talent code turned me on to it and one of one of the things i read in there is that the kind of practice that yields the most benefits is kind of when you're just on the verge of being out of control. Like if you're learning a new, a new music piece, you've got to be playing it fast enough so that you're making the occasional mistake. And I try and apply that to my skating, so I do end up on the deck a pretty good bit at the time. But uh, so so far, no broken ankles, no broken hips, so we're still getting <laughs> strong. Knock on some wood, Joe. But then also, you know, I know you've got your little grandson, Sebastian, on it. And, you know, I see Sebastian went to his first uh, gymnastics class and 
And, you know, you were showing that video of Sebastian just walking across the, the balance beam and then the smaller one and doing it, which is great for his age, which is incredible. But when I saw that, that was the first thing I thought about is all the times you've had him on the skateboard. And it's probably really helped his balance. It's definitely going to help him in, in any athletic activity he does later on in life. You started him really working on balance and the kid's got no fear. Um, you know, he's already you know, doing that. He's, he's a construction worker. He's always helping you out. Uh, he's going to, uh, he's going to have a very, you know, productive, crazy life. There's nothing that's going to stop him. So that's, Things you can learn with toddler. <laughs> <laughs> that's Joe's first year of skateboarding. Sebastian's first year in the construction, uh, line of work there. And Usain Bolt's first year of, of competitive racing. If you're listening to this and it is your first year on the mats doing jujitsu, we've got an audiobook for you, creatively titled <laughs> "Your First Year of BJJ." Uh, it's written, directed, edited, and produced by me, and acted. I guess I don't know. Um, read, but uh, it's about two and a half hours long, and I'm going to try to walk you through all the things that that will. Uh, need to be addressed that first year to make this year go smoothly. I want you to have a great first year. I want you to fall in love with the sport, uh, do the proper techniques, focus on the right things, um, you know, realize what's happening, and you know, acknowledge the things you're doing right and what things you shouldn't be necessarily focusing on because that's, that's, I think that's a big hurdle, especially when you're new. You, you do all this stuff. You listen to all these podcasts. You do all this research. You watch all these videos. But you should be focusing on a select core set of techniques and that could be kind of tricky. And I could, I guarantee you, Joe and Gary and myself, we're all doing moves we learned in our first year. We're still doing some of these techniques. If you can focus on the right ones, you're going to be set up for your entire time on the mats. And, and you know, the book starts with finding the right gym for you. It goes all the way to if you want to compete and some advice on competing in your first tournament and, and getting the most out of that. So it's eleven ninety nine. It's an audio book. It's a lot like a podcast, but you download it and listen at your leisure, and I really hope that it helps you out if you get it. Man, that was one of the best transitions we've had. Uh, Gary, I'd say Byron's training game is on point today. Yeah, Byron definitely is not only a black belt on the mat, he's a black belt in segways. Uh, really good one there. Um, and, you know, Byron's talking about his audio book, and, uh, you know, I know you guys know we're from Wichita, Kansas, but uh, basically the Wichita Times named uh, – the our podcast you know the best podcast in wichita so we're pretty <laughs> happy about that and uh i think we're doing pretty good man those other two guys they're probably pretty disappointed <laughs> yeah but the problem is theirs has to do with one was a horse made you know about rodeos and so we're the only one about jujitsu but we're still proud of it yeah i'll just uh say that real quick that didn't happen gary's just giving us a hard time I don't think there is a Wichita Times. <laughs> there isn't. But, uh, hey, we did uh, make a, a Jiu-Jitsu magazine, though, which I thought was pretty cool. Had a little uh, write-up about the BJJ Brick podcast that we're all pretty proud of. Yep. Go to your – if you, you don't subscribe, subscribe to it. It can get delivered to your house. If not, go to – I went to our local uh, Kroger store and got one of the magazines. And, like, sure enough, there it is. So, um yeah, I got it and took it home and I'm reading it. And uh, we're hoping to do a little bit of stuff with with those guys at the magazine, maybe have an article of the week occasionally be written by them, and we'll get one of them on here talking about it. That'd be kind of fun. Um, a little bit in the works. We'll see how that plays out. 
And uh, but yeah, it's a great magazine. Um, I've got a copy on my desk right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, check out uh, Jujitsu Magazine. It's the uh, September October two thousand eight issue. So, uh, like I said, check it out. Great magazine, and uh, uh, we appreciate them for writing 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 about us. Yep. Thanks, Jim. Uh, hey guys, let's not hold back hey, Neil Lanson anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he is the most interesting grappler in the world. He has had a short career as a pharmacist. He got fired because he was recommending jujitsu for 95% of his patients. His idea of a performance-enhancing drug is better technique. He has been tested for this, and the results were positive. Chuck Norris's wife has a tattoo of his face. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring back Neil Melanson to the BJJ Brick podcast. Neil, it's been a little over a year. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, excited to have you back. You uh, you do a, a very good job of explaining uh, ideas and, and things on the mat with just words. It's really pretty amazing. So I, I had you on the repeat list to get this guy back on here because not everybody could has that gift to where they could talk about grappling and, and over an audio format even and, and make it really make sense. And I think you did a really great job with that last time. And so we're really, really excited to get you back on here. Oh, thanks. But uh, you've been uh, a busy guy. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're at and what you're up to. Um, yeah, I've been I've been busy. I uh, I'm, I'm living back in Vegas, which is something I kind of wanted to do for a little bit now. Um, I still got a lot of students here and. I kind of moved around a lot in my life, and Vegas is probably the, the place I stayed the longest. So it kind of feels like home. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, after I left Florida, I went to, I went out to the Denver area and uh, Colorado. I was out there for about six months or so. I was trying to get something going out there with a guy, and, you know, it just didn't work out. The business agreement didn't work out, and, uh, I was having a lot of problems there in Denver, just the a lot of respiratory problems because I have a lot of allergies in that region. Um, so I was pretty, was pretty miserable most of the time. So I, I definitely didn't see myself staying. I was just trying to figure it out, and basically, it was I didn't want to waste more time I'm getting a little older. So every time. I, I take longer to attack something or do something. It's just, it makes it a little harder. So I wanted to get, uh, I didn't want to kill another year or whatever to, to see if I was going to like it. I could tell I didn't like it out there. So uh, it's a beautiful place, but, uh, I feel good to be back home in Vegas. I got a lot of friends here and, uh, it just, uh, I'm actually back in the same house I used to live in, which, I've always wanted to buy it, and uh, so it's kind of a trip. I'm literally back in the same house, <laughs> the same house that I left. But I, I wanted that. I was, I felt lucky. I love this place. Wow. I love my neighborhood. So, yeah. So it's, it's. I'm not complaining. Yeah, that. But, yeah. It's you know Denver is a is a great place, and uh, so is Vegas. But um, it sounds like 
like you didn't really fit. Like you said, your allergies were going crazy and you had some, some problems with that. And like go to the proper, take it back to like grappling. You need to be in the right gym that fits you. And so you make that move and now you're in the right environment and you're going to, you're going to thrive there and you're going to be healthier and, and you're going to, it sounds like you know, you're home. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, and all thing I like is the location because I'm still very close with the guys at team Alliance in uh, San Diego. They have an 18, um, Dom Cruz's team. So this allows me to kind of, still go out there and work with those guys. I, I love that team. I just, I love being there. I just now didn't want to live back in San Diego again. In other words, uh, I probably would have went there instead, but yeah, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy to be in Vegas. I got some, I'm looking forward to the future. I got some plans and I just got here. So I haven't really made any forward progress on things just yet, but they're on the works, so hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, literally, uh, I I was chatting with you online a little bit, and you're like, I'm moving today. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. We'll back this up, and we backed up like a week. So you've been you've been a busy guy, even just in the past week, getting things settled in and 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 getting getting I guess home, uh, and getting that stuff situated. But uh, it, a lot of times, I have on here like jujitsu coaches and, and grappling coaches, what would you consider yourself like a, a grappling coach for MMA or where do you classify yourself? Um, I, I, it's a tough, it's tough, you know, cause I, uh, I've always used to just, I used to just say ground fighting coach. Um, cause I seem to cover a lot of spectrums, but I, I teach other areas as well. Um, one thing I've been doing a lot on my, on my own personal training is up in my um, wrestling IQ and a lot of MMA wrestling, like fence wrestling and all that other stuff. And spent a lot, a lot of time in that over the last four or five years. So I do, you know, I've increased my knowledge base so I can teach more areas now. I enjoy it. Um, but I, I haven't really, you know, in a very long time, I haven't had, regular students i've worked just with fighters and as much as i like that i i do miss working with regular students so now that i'm back in vegas i do have regular students here that i probably will connect with again and keep training with because i we were all very tight you know and it's nice to have those kind of students because a lot of times when you train fighters it's what you don't train them to do is what saves them sometimes just because you want to keep their tactics as the priority and a lot of MMA tactics, you're a little more conservative with, um, you know, some of the grappling aspects and the submission attempts. Instead, it's focused around, you know, damage and striking on the ground and utilizing that along with scrambles you hit certain submissions that maybe are if you fail you don't put yourself in a um, a dangerous position where the fight can be turned dramatically you know meaning like some people would fall back for a submission and the guy gets up and he gets on top of you now and he finishes the round strong being on top he probably just uh probably just stole that uh 
stole that round from you. Yeah, trying to, to visualize this, it sounds like a classic example is if if I have, let's just say I have a mount on you, Neil, and uh, it's, there's like three minutes left in the round, and I go for an arm bar and miss it, that's probably costing me the round versus uh, maybe a, a little bit different submission that I wouldn't lose the position if it if it failed. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, it's just like um, this is where I would say – ground fight or at least MMA ground fighting or whatever you want to call it and um, jiu-jitsu really changed it just um, one of the big aspects is the guy on top can disengage in MMA and force you to your feet at the discretion of the referee and uh, because they're stand-ups to keep the action and jiu-jitsu, it would be almost the opposite, where is if the guy on top standed and walked away, he would be cited for stalling yeah. and not trying to. So when you look at that, well, that's such a major part of it. Then your tactics change, some of your techniques change, you know, whereas you want to, you know, when you sometimes when you like, for example, you pass the guard, you get cross body or something like that. That guy on the bottom, he's he's probably all he's going to focus on is doing is escaping, and that's all he's going to do. And that means he, he might be going to half court, he might wrestle out, he might bridge, you know. And now you're in that one weird pickle where you have to do damage because if you just hold him down and you try to go for submissions, but you don't get anything, and then he gets up and cracks you, and your face is bleeding he's probably going to win the round because he did effectively more damage. So it's, it's like such when you look at the scoring and a lot of the aspects, your, your tactics and technique and what you emphasize on is very, very different. Um, even though they both have the same goal on trying to win, you know, uh, most guys that are ground specialists in MMA would love to finish with a submission and stuff like that. So it's not, I mean, there's there's very similar goals. It's just, you know, when it comes to deciding rounds and and understand how to how to basically uh, overwhelm an opponent and and blend the the striking damage with positional transitional moves and submissions, that's a whole other art. You know, it requires a lot a lot of work. And I was able to like engulf myself in it, and I really enjoy it. So. Uh, I think it makes the sport a little more exciting, even if you're not, um, you know, not even going to do the striking standing. That's why when I never had a good way of describing exactly what I specialize in. And then, you know, Eddie, it was Eddie at Bravo, I believe, started that combat jujitsu. And I thought, like, when I saw that and he was kind of doing it, yeah, it's open hand, not fist. It does, you know, it does matter, but... Um, the idea is still the same, you know? And I was like, that's exactly what I do. Like, that's what I spend my time on. So he's kind of put a nice title to what I specialize in, but I, I do a lot of just playing like a grappling American jujitsu, um, you know, that kind of blend of folk style wrestling and Brazilian jujitsu. I, I, I still like to do that, but I don't really teach that style to fighters. Um, that's, that's why I kind of miss, you know, working with 
hobbyists because you can, they're hobbyists. There's not a, a lot of consequences to what they're doing. They have normal lives. So as long as they stay healthy, you know, they're just having a good time, but they tend to want to specialize a little more. They, you can teach them more different areas. I can start working on leg locks again and teaching a lot of things because it's uh, within the grounds of the sport, you know, and it makes sense. So you actually hold back a lot. Uh, at least I've held back a lot of my my original specialty, and that's you know submission grappling. To to make the transition over to more MMA based ground style, but I do both, and I I'm happy I'm going to be going back to teaching both because I I miss that aspect. Training fighters is great and it's exciting, but it's you know it has its downsides too, you know. You talk a little bit about it's it's almost what you uh, don't teach them, and it sounds like with with the MMA fighters, you're not stressing uh, necessarily all these submissions that they like. A lot of times you go to like a grappling class, they just teach you three submissions, and you go train. But it sounds like you're more focused on uh, being in positions to do damage, doing that damage. And, and staying safe at the same time and, and capitalizing anything that comes up. Um, is that accurate? Yeah, I, I suppose so. I suppose that's kind of about it. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about leg locks. What, what are your your feelings about leg locks in MMA and, and, and where they're, you know, what the future is for those? Do you not recommend your athletes work on those? or? Well, I, I first of all, I think... We're seeing great things in the jiu-jitsu community now, finally, yeah. with leg locks. Um, I, it, it, does, it does, I have to admit, I find it a little humorous that um, the style of leg locks now that is being popularized and stuff, it's still, it was the same stuff I learned when I first started because my coaches were very, very seasoned on leg locks. So it, you know, when I, as I seen the jujitsu community grow and, and take leg locks and then make it work for their style and, and grow and grow and grow their the depth of knowledge and ability in leg locks, it, a lot of it comes down to the kind of the stuff that's been around, except maybe they didn't give it a solid look or maybe for the time period at that moment, it wasn't um, something that was allowed, you know, because it's you know, there, a lot of leg locks were considered hush. Um, but I still feel like there's more phases of leg locks to grow that I haven't seen from the BJJ community. There's plenty of top game leg locks that don't require you to fall back. And some of them are pretty primitive and simple. Um, I think maybe that turns away some of the challenge. I don't know, but um, those type of leg locks, um, they work great for MMA and they can be used to help change position and sometimes pass the guard or to counter a bridge or a lot of things. And you can do those leg locks without giving up position. So those types of leg locks, I still haven't really seen it from the community just yet. And they of course been around forever. I mean, I just, I just have really great leg lock coaches. Gokor TV team is probably one of the best. I, I, he's, I've never met a guy like him. Him, Igor Yakimov, there's some old school guys that just 
know this kind of stuff very, very well. Eric Paulson's another great leg lock guy. But um, their knowledge is very big, and they've kind of all learned a similar style. Um, so in a lot of these leg locks, they're, they're not like... Um, it's it's not like they're new. and I, I don't even know... A lot of, like someone can get credit, in my opinion, like a coach or a teacher or whoever can get credit for popularizing something or reorganizing something. But, you know, most of the time we don't really invent anything. Everything's been done. All we're doing is reinstituting it a different way. And so I'm not going to knock on a lot of the jiu-jitsu community for their some of their leg locks, you know, I know some of the old school guys get a little bitter because they see the leg locks now that they used to got, you know, I used to get kicked out of schools for doing leg locks because that's all, that's all I knew back in the day. And, um, yeah, it kind of gives you a little chip on your shoulder because you, you known the answer the whole time, but people just told you you couldn't do it or it was bad form. And now it's become popularized and, it, they've actually made improvements in certain areas on it. It's fun to watch the sport transform. Um, you can't knock those BJJ guys for not doing learning leg locks back in the day or not developing them sooner because it wasn't really in the depth of what was considered uh, appropriate for them. But now you can see it's it's growing and it's growing and some of these guys are doing some great things with it. They're forming their own combinations and things like that and concepts and um uh, i don't think we we'll I, I still see the leg lock game expanding and uh, eventually a lot of the top game leg locks will be very common but i'm taking in a you know a guess just based on what what we've seen with the leg lock game it seems it, it's it's ironic but it's it's uh for me as learning leg locks and getting kind of shunned when I first started to see and how common they are and how widespread and, and more acceptable, but I, I can't complain. I'm happy to see it. Um, I'm very happy to see it. And I love seeing what these guys come up with and prove upon. So I still, I'm curious, you know, I'm kind of curious what the future is going to lie. And, um, I hopefully the, that dimension of the game will just get better and better and better. It sounds like it's a similar criteria that you were talking about as far as don't give up your position when you when you are trying to do something. Um, you know, if you're in a good spot and you decide to go for something and the guy ends up winning the round because of that. Same thing with leg locks. You're not, it sounds like you're not a big fan of falling back for leg locks, but as long as you can stay on on top and, and work that. Um, and there are several that it sounds like that aren't super popular, but they probably have a lot of potential to, to grow and, and to be used by a lot of people. Yeah, I, I just think it will come around eventually. You know, I think the biggest thing that, you know, I think that the jiu-jitsu community is really starting to come around about is the, the importance of controlling the other leg uh, and lacing inside between the legs and things like that. That that was a big thing. You know, um, there was a lot. I used to call shotgun leg locks where guys just, they just get on the leg and first one wins and they get on a leg and they just go. And it's kind of that shootout. And that's a, you know, that's a realistic thing. But then the 50, 50 game kind of took place. And I wasn't a big fan of that, even though I've seen guys utilize it. 
effectively. Um, but I was never a fan of it. And then now um, we're starting to see the guys lacing on the inside and controlling both legs. And now you're seeing a lot more dominant leg lock uh, games being built. And, um, and that's because they figured out that concept, you know, and it was around for a long time. They just, they had it once they figured it out because of whatever reason or, Maybe they knew it and it was just frowned upon. I have no idea. But now that that's becoming more acceptable, we're starting to see a more technical leg battle and the way more ta uh, tactics mixed in. And, you know, it's, you know, somebody saying they're the king of leg locks or something, you know, you have to, <laughs> there's a lot of leg locks and there's a lot of good guys that are <laughs> good at them now. So I always snicker when I hear some type of goofy comment like that. Wow. Um, but yeah, the, the jiu-jitsu community is always exciting to to pay attention to. There's always something happening. Looking at the at the the world of uh, like I guess MMA and, and grappling, are there any popular ideas that you disagree with as far as maybe training or maybe technique wise that you're like, well, I, a lot of people do this technique, but I am not a fan of that. Uh, I can't think of anything in particular. I'm sure, um, I'm sure there is some things I could talk about, but you mentioned you know, that it's, it, the, it all, a lot of it depends on the athlete. Yeah, in the individual aspect, because how your your physical development should matter. Um, if you look at other sports like say judo we tend to base techniques and throws on what your body type is and some it's like even boxing if you have a certain arm length you're a long lanky guy probably not going to be fighting inside some guys have done it you know but generally speaking you're going to be fighting on the outside so just something to think about so when you're forming your game and your style, you know, unless you're just one of those medium body frames where it just kind of, you're, you're good for everything and you're not really leaning one thing or another. If you're a guy like me, it's very long limbed. You have to kind of utilize and take advantage of what you have. And the guys are, you know, shorter arms and shorter legs. They have some advantages too. So, um, you just gotta you gotta focus and add that element in when you're looking at your own your own development and I think that will help people you know at least get a good higher level a little faster you know yeah do train like what your body tells you to basically if you got you know if you're a smaller guy you play this style and there's plenty of great grapplers out there to model all body types you know um so there's, it's really easy to get a general guide. Um, all you have to do is be a fan, I suppose. <laughs> While we're on this on this page, uh, maybe tell me a little bit about your style and how it matches with your body with your body type. I never wanted to be a, a guard player to start. You know, I had no interest in it, and I didn't even like it. But because my legs were so long and at the time my wrestling wasn't very good. So 
to be realistic, I was going to be on my back, and my coaches told me that I needed to do nothing but triangles from my guard for, I mean, I ended up doing nothing but triangles from my guard for almost a year. Um, that was, you know, all your training partners know exactly what you're going for. But it it helped me master it, and then I, it, what that, those positions, which used to be my weakness, became my strength, and, and it taught me to be. It taught me a lot of good survival skills as well, and um, I, I started having success and real success on tough guys. And then I saw I stuck with the code, and I I kept grappling to my body type. But I I was trained by little guys, and a lot of their a lot of their teaching they they really focused on transitions and speed. So I, I had adapted that from them and I was very aggressive and, um, you know, not waiting around or playing games, just kind of going and, and going hard. And, um, that's, that's good for the professional vibe, but it doesn't work so well on the hobbyist vibe. You know, people don't like that feeling when you just tear through them. So, um, you got to kind of control all your training. You got to have that, that speedy aggressive type. But if you're a big guy, you can't, you're, you're not going to be able to keep that pace like a, a smaller athlete. You know, you're going to have to learn to fight f- for your body type. And cause like, for example, a, he- a heavyweight getting off the mat and a guy that's maybe like, I don't know, 240 getting off the mat, I'm sorry, 140 getting off the mat, you know, it's going to be different. There's certain, in my opinion, there's certain principles that I would really focus the heavyweight to do. And I would focus a little different on the 140-er, you know? So the, as a coach, I try to base even basic scrambles and things based on their body type and weight. Because you just have to, you know, it's just like anything. You look at heavyweight college wrestling, it doesn't look the same as the lighter weight classes. And there's a good reason for that. So, you know, it might be the same technique in a lot of aspects, but the application and the tactics and a lot of that change. So, you know, it, if you're one of those odd bodies and you can't seem to click and move like the instructor does because he's a little smaller or whatever the case is, you shouldn't feel a sense of defeat. You should just say, okay, then, you know, I have to get better, but I also got to find a style that kind of coincides with what my ability is going to be able to handle. And uh, I think I think that kind of thing gets overlooked. You know, sometimes I hear it, though. I hear people say, I got long arms, so I focus on dark jokes. I'm like, okay, you know, it makes total sense. But um, I, I hear a lot of other times you see people there they're just if they only knew to focus on you know what their body frame is built for they would have so much quicker success and i think they would develop a little faster sense of confidence but um you know and there's a always wild card aspect and going on a rant here but if you like something like if they're if you're just like i don't care what it is say you like guillotines and you know, guillotine is a real general move, but if you like it and enjoy it and you're constantly thinking about it and hunting it, you can have success with it. So, you know, there are some 
just because your body type is telling you, yeah, you shouldn't probably focus on this particular technique doesn't mean you can't do it and can't be good at it. Those are just, you know, the body type and the size, just kind of a guide. Um, but the, you, you're the real breaker. You know, you can always choose to be good at whatever you want to. It's just what you're willing to do to commit to it, you know? Yeah, some it's, some techniques might pay off a lot quicker and at a higher rate than others. Um, an easy one, um, you know, like a triangle choke if you have long legs. That's pretty easy to visualize being, you know, if you have real short legs, you could spend a lot of time and, and get a decent triangle or you could spend a lot of time and, and, and really develop something else in your, in your game and, and really uh, be up several steps higher than your triangle will ever be. Uh, but I think a big thing that people probably could be missing here is that you don't get that sort of guidance necessarily from going to class every day. Cause you go to class and you, and somebody will teach a technique or several techniques, but they're not teaching them to you. They're teaching them to a class. And so you need to run that technique through a filter of how's this work for me? How's it work against me? And, and how does my body type fit with this? Is this something that I need to be working on a lot this week as we as we work through this, or something that I need to learn and understand? But I probably won't be pulling this off very often, and I'll stick with what I've been working on for a while. I think that, that that's uh, like as students, I think that's good to reflect on how this works with me. And you can just ask: Is this something that's easy for my body type? And your instructor should be able to give you some guidance on that on the spot. Yeah, you, you would think your instructor would would give you some guidance, but it's. In the end, you know, champions motivate themselves. So, you know, you got to, if you, you're going to get good if you really want it. You know, a lot of people just do it for fun. And, you know, most the people that are addicted to it and they're trying to break through to the next level every single day, they're, you know, they're on the mat. Those people are going to climb a lot faster, you know, because they're, it encapsulates them, you know. That's one thing that's cool about the sport. You know, it, it, there's a lot of unique things about the sport. It brings people together from all over the world that have nothing else in common necessarily. Uh, and it's constantly evolving, but yet in some cases it's coming full circle. It's, it's a very unique thing. And I don't think we've seen any change. I don't see any change coming in the near future um, as far as it progressing, you know, like, um, I, I do feel that eventually, uh, the no game, the pure grasping aspect will be very solidified. And, um, I, I, I think it will be looked at a little different, um, down the road and in a good way. And not in the negative, you know, people always want to do the gi. People always want to do that. And I don't think that's going anywhere, but I think the no gi game is just getting more popular and it's growing and growing and growing. Um, it's fun and it has crossover appeal to guys that want to potentially try MMA or something like that. So I think you're going to, I think the Noki game is going to get more solidified here in the U.S. and I, I, I hope it does. I, I like to see more and more develop about that. You know. Yeah, it sounds like, and I don't know any numbers on this, but it, they're both growing uh, pretty well. 
and uh, it would be hard for for me to imagine one growing without the other one as well. Like also swelling. A lot of people do both, and and that's the camp I'm in. I like I I do both. I'm a, I am a hobbyist, and if I could train today, I will train today. And if it's gi or no gi, that's what I'm going to train. It doesn't matter to me. You mentioned uh, a little while ago about uh, you know increasing your uh, ability to fight off of of the fence using the cage. I think you said something about like you know your your fence IQ or or something like that. What have you learned that? And, and where's this look in the future? Well, I mean, I I like when I was coaching Randy back in the day. I was learning a lot from him in those aspects, you know, because that was his, you know, he was kind of that godfather of the fence, you know. Um, and then training with Daryl Christian, he's a great Greco coach, worked with a lot of fighters. He's uh, based out of Southern California. Um, most notably, he's with the TJ Dillashaw camp now. He's an excellent Greco coach, and he's been spending a lot of time on MMA and transferring it to the face he's the fencer rather and he's very talented but just a good coach got a lot of knowledge on on a lot of that game and working with him and working on my own techniques and just being around a lot of great fighters you pick up a lot of things but you know when you're when you're sparring and you're getting the reps in you're you're figuring things out and you're improving and you're catching patterns you know i I have my own rules for the fence and they're just a guideline, you know, but it was, it's a guideline. I teach the guys uh, and I think it's conservative, but aggressive, you know, but uh, you're kind of seeing that, that fence wall, the fence game is, is it's always been very important, but a lot of schools don't necessarily specialize in it, you know, and I think it's a powerful skill to have and so I, I always personally like to spend a lot of time in the corner on the ground and against the fence I just like working out of those spots I think you get you get you get much better when you spend time in those areas and when guys fight and they actually end up there you can tell who knows more than the other definitely and it can it can really make a difference and most most wrestling coaches I know, uh, they they're very hesitant about the fence because they don't really know a lot. It's a little different. They might be great in the open mat area, but the only way you really learn that fence game is to get in there and do it. So it's you know, like people always ask you know whether I do key and things. One of the biggest justifications I have for not is I'm always trying to work on other areas of the game that really go to what I do. Meaning the more wrestling IQ I get, the more punching into takedowns I get, the like all these different aspects, it's all going to help what I already do. And that is train fighters. You know, the gi is something totally different and I'm there. I'm sure there's some crossover, but I have a tough time justifying it. So like I, I want to do my grappling. I want to do my, my training and coaching and I want my development and during my development time I if I really had to pick what I feel I want to develop more and more and more it would almost every single time point to wrestling because I, I I don't think people give enough 
I don't want to say respect. Um, that's not the right word. Maybe credit to mat wrestling. You know, they. I feel like they. It's not always recognized as grappling. You know, I hear people talk about wrestling like all it is is takedowns, and it's not. There's more to that, and I think everybody feels like they can replace the ground game with just pure jujitsu, but. You know, we've seen what a lot of wrestlers have done uh, in MMA with with not much more than some boxing and striking and what they could know uh, as far as folk style wrestling. And they've had a lot of success. You know, they all train everything. Uh, I'm not trying to put BJJ down at all. I'm just saying that there's, that's, there's a style of grappling that is more mat wrestling oriented and it's very effective and it's outstanding for winning scrambles and the tactics tend to blend in really nice with MMA and things like that. And I know a lot of great jiu-jitsu guys that are black belts and rightfully so they have all this in depth knowledge, but you know, they don't know how to do a peek out, you know, or, you know, they, they don't know how to do basic mat wrestling movements and, I mean, it's fine if they can choose to do whatever they want. But, like, for me, I recognize a lot of that mat wrestling as pure grappling, so I spent a lot of time on trying to constantly perfect that kind of stuff and funk wrestling and a lot of different styles that kind of, you know, push towards what my ultimate goal is, and that's complete mastery, you know? And it would be nice to see wrestling get a little more recognition than than it currently gets, but I can understand why. I mean, they don't do submissions. It's not in depth like jujitsu where you can play the bottom, the top, you can submit the whole body. So I understand that. But uh, when it comes over to MMA, that style of movement on the mat that wrestling provides is, is pretty crucial too, you know, and it, and it shouldn't be overlooked. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a big part of, you know, what I spend my, my time on when I'm not working on normal grappling, you know, type thing. Yeah. Neil, I've been uh, jotting some notes down and I've got quite a few. Um, you, you know, you talked about not, you know, having a desire to, to do gi and, and people maybe try to talk with you about that. But really, if you think about it, if you have a no gi person and you're trying to convince them to learn how to fight off of a fence, but they have no desire to do MMA, why would they care about learning how to fight off of a fence? There's no, it's not what they want to do. It's just, it'd be something extra to learn, which if that's what they want to do, that's great. But, um, I think that you can compare like no gi fighting off a fence to, you know, like wanting to get better no gi and then throwing the gi on. Um, if that's what you want to do, that's great. But, um, they're a little different and I'm sure you could pick up some things and transfer them over, but, um, it's just, I would say that like Greco, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling training that helped my hand fighting better than anything else yeah. I've ever trained. You know, it's a very limited sport. And even though I'm not a, you're not going to see me in Greco-Roman tournament wrestling, you know, wrestling, but I learn a lot from it because they're, you know, even with just the guy, when you see guys that are just great at shucks, they just, they pull off some pretty great scrambles. Um, there's a there's just a lot there, and I enjoy it. And I find it very difficult and it's challenging. And 
part of the reason why I didn't put the gi on really is just because everybody told me I had to. It was kind of like, you know, I just didn't have an interest. Um, I've done it a little bit and it was cool and all, but, uh, I think I will eventually. But, um, as far as my own personal development, I, I just don't, I can't seem to justify it. Yeah. And, you know, I need to, whenever time I, whatever, whenever I get Matt time to work on something, I have plenty of things <laughs> I want to work on. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to add yeah. a different sport. I, I just, but I take what I do very serious, even though I'm kind of a goofy kind of guy, I, I take it very serious. Well, it's a, it's a serious business, and the and the the people you're working with are trusting you with ultimately their health and and their well being in the future. Because when things go wrong, they can go pr- wrong pretty quick. Uh, you, you mentioned your goal of complete mastery. What does that look like? I don't know. You know, I you know the I don't I don't even know if it's something that's even particularly feasible yeah would it would it be like a system i I can't tell you how many times students or fighters have showed me a move and i've said wow that's pretty cool that's nice i said where'd you when did you learn that and they'd be like you taught me that last year (laughs) i'm like fuck i don't even remember that technique and it's you know you if you don't if you're not training that area it's sometimes some people are better at retaining it but like when my mind moves very fast, I'm always problem solving and I don't know, but, um, a lot of times I, I forget stuff and I have to see it again. or do it a few times to kind of rekindle the movement. So I, I don't know what mastery, in a, I don't know if you spent your whole life on it, what you could really retain and apply without having to do constant updating. You know, I just, I don't even know what it would look like. Um, I mean, there's some great jujitsu guys out there and wrestlers alike that you could call masters. I'm sure I would call them masters too. But I think when we really truly look at mastery, I, I, I think it takes a lifetime. And if it does, maybe it's something that you shouldn't even look to title. I just want to be uh, the best I can possibly be. And, um, there's, I can always find somebody that has a better way of explaining something or they have better coordination with the movement and I can see the difference. You know, it's just, there's always something. I can always find something. Um, yeah. You know, and then you got to learn, even, even just being a teacher, you know, some people just show up, teach the technique and that's it. But when you... You look at different aspects and psychology of training certain people. You know, it's it's a whole other, whole other thing. Some guys have that psychology stuff down, and other guys they that's where they miss the mark. You know, and it's very challenging, and, and the sport's just constantly evolving. And like I, I, I say it's constantly evolving, but. I mean, I can think in the last 10 years, it looks a little different today than it did 10 years ago, but all that same stuff that you're seeing today was around 10 years ago. It just wasn't popularized, you know? So at the same token, it's like, yeah, boy, it's changing, but it's, eh, it depends who you ask, I guess. You know? 
Yeah, well, maybe the the ways we're teaching it and the way that people are learning it is changing as well, though. Oh, for sure. I think um, I think people are now being very much individuals. They're doing what they want to do. They're attacking what they want to do. You know, they're 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 putting the games together based on what they enjoy doing, and they're not feeling so controlled. But the danger of that is. You know, depending on your teacher, is you could be such a great submission fighter and be a terrible grappler. And there's a difference, in my opinion. I would say I made that made that mistake when I was first learning that I became very good submission fighter. So meaning, I would just uh, submission so much and so aggressive. It was kind of like the old Soviet method where you throw up, you know. 10,000 missiles and if some of them blow up in the sky or miss, don't worry, the rest will get them. That was kind of my approach. And I was always able to submit guys that I felt were way better than me because they were just better overall grapplers. And uh, eventually, I, you know, through rigorously training and handicapping myself, I felt like I, I, I I became that grappler as well, but I see guys today. They're awesome submission fighters, but their their grappling, in my opinion, is missing. And then you see the other ones that are great grapplers, but they don't get too many submissions. They keep it really simple, but you know, there's a lot to their movement and coordination, their passes, their balance, their transitions is so on the money. You they might get caught by that submission fighter. And that submission fighter might raise his hand, but if you look at him as a grappler on a different base, the other guy that lost was way more proficient. He just got caught because the submission fighter is really tricky. But I guarantee if they trained together for a few weeks, this match would look totally different. It's just kind of like, you know, I've seen it. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I was a submission fighter to start. I did all I wanted. I was greedy. I wanted to finish. And uh, I didn't really care what had transpired before if if the results are the thing that matter. But, you know, when you want to become a master, you want to learn how to... Learning how to stall is, is another challenge altogether. You you stall a guy that is your body weight, your, your weight class, that does want to get up, and he's very good or equally just as good as you are. And you can control, maintain control, and improve... Uh, without letting him up when all he's trying to do is maybe scramble, that's that's a talent, and it should be recognized as so. So it's just, you know, when people stall out of the pocket, you know, and just kind of just kind of run and stay away, that's, that's not a very technical stalling tactic. And when you're training fighters, stalling is a skill. You want to be, because guys are going to try to get up, so, you know, you get these positions, you got to stall it, and you also got to do damage. And if you can't do damage, you got to improve. You know, it's 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 kind of like that format. So it, it just you just because you love the finish and you love the submissions, you know, make sure you're doing the grappling aspect too. You know, try to find the balance between the two because eventually your card's going to get pulled and you're going to have to do it anyways. So might as well start now, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, I learned backwards to start, you know, so I'm, I, I can see all the mistakes and I can also see some of the brilliance of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and why they sent 
you know, a lot of their uh, grappling based up the way they do. They're trying to land that good, solid baseline so they can stack the chips up, you know. And that's and that's correct. That's what you should be doing. You know, you, you know, I think that's pretty accurate. But at the same token, you want to have fun, and if the submissions are fun, you got to have that balance too, where you're, you know, you're looking for all the submissions you want to try for. Because it's not all about being a champion, and sometimes it's just about going in there and having fun. And you know, they got to do that. I used to be very fussy. I'd go there and back in the day, and I would train. And I might submit a guy like six times, but he swept me twice. And then he's bragging to buddies about how he swept me. <laughs> and I used to be like, what, what does it matter? But then it kind of started waking me up. It doesn't matter how many times I submitted him because I got swept and I shouldn't, you know, and, and he does have bragging points on me on the spread the, on that. So it was kind of like one of those things where, you just got to have a good attitude about it and learn everything. It's not easy. And even if you do, you got to retain it. Um, you know, I think most hobbyists, all they got to do is develop a system that works for them and keep adding to what works for them. And just grow from there. But when you're a teacher or a coach, you got to be able to teach all these different body types, many different styles against many different body types and many different styles. So you have to, be a little more open and saying, okay, this guy, he's not that aggressive, but I can teach him to do this style and he'll still be good. Or he's built like this and he's kind of like that. But if I teach him this style and kind of maybe build up his confidence slowly, he could be a great grappler one day in his own right. That's like me taking a, like a student and just saying, I'm, I'm going to fulfill my promise and try to make you the best I can make you and the quickest amount of time I can make. You know, it takes time and it's not the way I was. Most people, when they go to a gym, you pay and then you show up and you take the classes and you got to earn it. But if you got coaches that are very involved and you, they show you, you show them that you're really interested in getting better, they'll probably start, you know, grabbing you and steering you a little bit um, because they want you to get good too. Yeah, that that's good advice. Uh, you know, the attitude, somebody who's coachable, Coaches are just going to gravitate towards them and, and want to help those people. Um, it, as you're talking, I'm, I keep thinking about your your goal of of mastery of of this, and 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 you touched on several elements that made me think. You know, it's not so mastery as a as a coach is is a, it's it comprised of so many different things. You know, of course you have the techniques. There's so many techniques, but you have probably a course of the techniques or maybe a system, and then you have to figure out what's right for which person. And like you mentioned, different people, or, you know, it might not just be body type, it might be aggressiveness. It might be somebody, you know, naturally has this aggressive ability or is naturally a little bit uh, tentative when it comes to pulling the trigger, and you need to mold that plan to that person. Um, you know, part of it is your. Uh, mastery of teaching you know, in your teaching ability, your communication skills. And a lot of great fighters don't have those skills and they get on the mat to teach something and they just, they're not that good at teaching. And, and, and so that's another category. And I've, I've just been jotting a few down. Um, like live coaching ringside, like a, a master coach is going to be able to communicate what needs to be heard. And yet part of that, you have to know the fighter as well, but, uh, at the right moment and, and get that message across. And, and kind of the last one that, that, that we 
kind of touched on or you, you made me think of is the right environment. You know, you're, you're, you're in the room, you have a lot of training goes on between students. So it's student to student and sometimes it's student to teacher, but always they're learning from other students and creating that right environment. You know, you're talking about being in, in the right gym where, where a lot of learning is going on. Um, a master would have a gym where people are constantly learning and uh, man, I'm sure we could list like a lot more things that would involve uh, what a what a master instructor is is doing. But uh, it, man, it, well, like for example, there's I've I've met some coaches that are, are very good. You know, they have their style and they're good at it. But every single student in their class and on his in his school is exactly his style all the time. So, for example, if he's a butterfly dart player, he doesn't do anything else, then his students will probably be all butterfly players because he doesn't, that particular coach may or may not be able to train other body types or other styles. Or, hey, they always do this low pass or they always do this. You know, if that's what that school is known for, then you can kind of prep a little bit. But when you have a team or a school, where everybody's an individual, but yet they're all together in a team and they, they all specialize in different things. And, you know, and like when I had a grappling team, we, all my guys had similarities, I'm sure. Like they were all leg lock guys, but they were all specialists in their own little world as well. They were, some of them were wrestlers, some of them were guard players, some of them were just leg lock players. And like everybody was a little different. So, when we had compete, it, it really, you know, they, they, you know, you, you didn't know what you were going to get, you know? Um, so that's just another aspect of it. But, um, I don't know, as a coach, I don't really try to control my people. I, I try to make sure they're learning at the, the, the pace that I believe think they should be. Um, but, uh, I think in the end, I think if you try to control people, it just kind of goes, it goes bad, you know. Yeah, but as a know. as a as a coach, you are like I don't know how to you, you are in control of the room. Like if you see something that's happening that's a, that's a huge negative, like guys trying to actually injure other people while they're training, or you know bad attitudes, or people getting personally upset with their training partners, like. That to me is a is a coaching thing that that between those two guys they may not be able to figure that out, but a coach should be able to say, "Hey guys, what's going on here?" and, and bring them back to where um, they could both learn or or fix the problem, whatever that answer might be. Yeah, I mean that's I don't think uh, that's always going to be the case. Yeah, there's always people out there that are looking. They look at the uh, training room as a street fight, you know. See, like people used to complain because I used to go hard and I still like to go hard, but that's how I was trained. We all went hard all the time. And you know, when I, when every time I've gone, I've gone and I've, I've gone hard, I've never gotten hurt. It's going easy, uh, is when I get hurt. It's, it's when I'm not protecting myself on purpose, you know, to let the guy drill. That's when I get hurt. Like those type. that's what I've noticed in my experience. And from what I understand, a lot of guys have told me some of their stories. So, you know, it, I uh, I think you got to feel the pace of going hard, too. Right? Yeah. I think that's very important. It's just that, like, you shouldn't, like, you have the submission. He doesn't want to tap. 
and you got it, you know, just chalk it up for a win and let them go, you know, or transition it. Let's see how, how well you can transition this win to another win, even though he refuses to concede. Um, you know, it's tapping in the gym shouldn't be a big deal at all. It's just training. You know, how many times have you gone into a gym and not been yourself and had a bad day and got wrecked? You know, like people, eventually if you're tired and you're worn out or you're stressed out and guys are feeling good, they're going to, they're going to be a little tougher than normal. And if you had to defend your honor every single day and, you know, defend how good you were every single day, I mean, that's, that's not even realistic. That's not being on a team. You know, that's being in a, you know, a shark tank. You know, it's just not, uh, you know, it's, it's, I like, I, I like, for example, like when I'm training fighters, I will let them drill. So I, I, I can't tell you how many times, maybe 15 times I've been choked out one practice, just letting the guy drill reps, 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 but I have to move with them just enough. So he's feeling threatened and has to use force and get the workout aspect of it. So it's more realistic to his, to the fight. But when he gets it, I give it and let him put me to sleep. You know, he wakes me up, do it again. And I have no problem tapping. I, I no problem going to sleep. I have no problem any of that because it's just training. You put money on the table and you say, okay, now I want you guys to go for real. Then you're going to see a different person, but it's good to, to understand the differences and just communicate. I think communication is always the biggest problem too. Like if you want to go hard and you can tell the guy is not interested or just tell him, Hey man, I want to go hard today. And maybe he'll roll with you or maybe he won't. Um, but maybe you just do more of a warm up with him or maybe you handicap yourself a little bit to make it more challenging. Like you're all tell him I'm only going to do arm bars. And now he knows exactly what you're going for. You know, he, he doesn't know where you're going to do it, but now it's made it harder for you because he knows now I'm going to need to protect my arms and it's going to make it way more challenging. And you're going to have to get more creative and more technical to be able to get that arm bar, um, even though he's not as good as you necessarily, you know? So it's just, you handicap yourself. There's so many ways to make the sport challenging and, and don't be afraid to give a dog his day too. Sometimes you get caught, Somebody does something pretty awesome. Tip your cap, you know. That's hey, nice, nice job. You know, just training. You know, it's just training. Yeah, they worked hard to get there, and uh, I think that's a it's part of being a good coach. Is hey, good one on on that uh, arm bar, and then you're back to rolling and back to training. Well, it is too. Is guys film everything and then they post it, <laughs> and then that guy was like, man. It looks like I'm just getting handed to me, but I was just fucking around. I was just letting them work. But, you know, who knows how that will be projected, you know, and you really shouldn't care because people are going to think whatever the hell they want. You know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, over the years kind of discredit me for one reason or another. And uh, now a lot of those people are coming to train with me. You know, it's, it's just, you, you know, uh, you you know, you can't really read into that stuff. I I stopped reading into that stuff a long time ago. I just did what the hell I wanted to do. Because at least I'm happy, you know. At least I'm living for myself. So I, if I could give any advice, I would say just do what you want to do. And if you got a coach that's holding you back from learning, find out what his reasons are. 
And if they don't make sense to you, go find a different coach. Yeah. And it's not always about finding the best grappler. That, I, that's a big mistake. You know, that's a big mistake. If you want a guy to be a coach and you're looking to get, you look out for the best grappler you could find and you go find that guy and you train under him. Yeah. It's going to be awesome because you'll be able to roll with the guy of that caliber and talent, but you got to remember he might be, he's, he's a, he's an athlete. He's doing this for a living. Doesn't mean he knows dick about coaching. He's, you know, he's living it now. He's being selfish now. And I'm sure you can get a couple of good techniques or maybe some tips because he's doing it at the highest level. Like, hey, this submission is actually really hard to do. I wouldn't attempt it on that type of caliber athlete because of these reasons. That's why I prefer these. Like, those, those, are, those are good talking points. But you, if you want to become great, you got to have to, a guy that understands how to train and how to get you to the next level and how to set the challenges and how to do it in a way so you're not overtrained constantly and, you know, beat down all the time. You know, there's different energy systems and there's certain ways you can train them without hurting a guy. And then you can still push it hard, you know, a little every day. So it's just, there's a lot out there, but you get with a coach that understands all that. He creates a good environment. That's the guy that's going to help you get to that level. That world champion that you love training with, he, he, he's got his own life to live too. He might be able to do it if he has that knack for teaching. But, I mean, I've met a lot of great grapplers, and they couldn't teach crap, and they were plenty good at it. They just, you know, it's just not their personality. They wasn't what, it's not what they do. Um, they're more, they're more the doers. They're just the talent, you know. Some guys, they just do things. They don't even know how to break it down in a way to teach someone that doesn't. So, you know, it's good to be around those great grapplers, the high-level grapplers, but if you're serious about getting better, you know, yeah, it's good to train with them, but you got to get with a coach that actually knows how to coach. Yeah. I think sometimes the, the problem with the high-level grapplers or high-level any sport, really, is some people pick up things a little easier or a lot easier than other people. They just, some things come naturally to people, and if if shooting a double leg came naturally or, you know, finishing an arm bar was pretty much easy for you to understand from day one, it might be hard to teach that because you didn't have to like really think about the nuances and and the struggles and, and, and what muscles were doing what. If you picked it up easy, it might be hard for you to teach that to somebody who doesn't pick that up easily. And that's why you need a good, I mean, a good coach is able to understand that, look at who they're teaching and adjust the, um, the lesson according to that person. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Neil, uh, what you got going on? Last time I, I had you on, uh, you had just released one of the best uh, grappling DVDs I'd, I've seen. Um, it was Catch Wrestling Formula, and uh, there's a lot on there. But one of the things, I mean, I've, I haven't watched it for for a while, and I probably should throw it back in, but um, there's there's a lot on there. But basically... Overnight, it made me really like to pass people's half guards. <laughs> so I found myself in the as a person who is now uh, instead of passing, forcing a half guard, and and then just working from that and really uh, finding uh, a lot of enjoyment in in being in somebody's half guard on the top and in in pressuring and in controlling and and working out a, a good pass from there. But uh, what do you have coming up around the corner? Well. um, I filmed two more DVDs. I mean, I've, so far I got four out. I have uh, the Catch Wrestling, the Headhunter, and two different guard ones. Um, 
I filmed a Kimura-based one and a half-guard-based one, um, bottom, half-bottom. So the uh, Kimura DVD should be out real soon. The half-guard, I would think, would be later this year, um, maybe in the fall. But I haven't got word on when that will be released. And in the Half Guard DVD, I, ca- I do something, I call it Combat Half. It's a little different style and approach, but it works. I like it. Um, it's how I play the Half Guard a lot of the times because I, you know, I'm not going to get hit. Um, so I do a lot of the, the strikings when I, the striking when I grapple, I prefer it. So, um, there's, it's a pretty rich DVD. I was really happy with the way it came out. Um, the Kamora DVD, that should be, man, I'm actually going to see um, a couple guys from DJJ Fanatics today. So um, I think that that DVD is right around the corner, like right around the corner. And I just basically, for the Kamora DVD, you know, I've seen some great, uh, you know, like Kamora trap system and all that stuff where guys have, you know, really done a good job of, you know, utilizing the Kamora different ways you know how it was taught to me was not to learn the Kimura you know as just a submission but learn to use it as a two-on-one to get other submissions so I what I encapsulate in there is uh, I do a few you know I, I break down some basic you know the old way of doing the double wrist lock and you know some modern ways of finishing the Kimura and um, I I get into combinations of movements that and kind of like throws and how to stick with the lock and turn and different ways of finishing it. I also do some just um, arm cranks, which is not based on a figure four, but work all the same. And um, I, it's like a, it's like what I call, it's like a Russian Kimura. I call it that at least, or it's just a near side Kimura. It's a little different. Um, I, it's people I'm, you might have seen it. It looks like you come off a Russian two on one, and uh, I have a lot from there. It's a very strong position for me. I'm a big, big fan of it, and I'm constantly growing that area. And I, I have some other variations in the DVD as well. It, it kind of went pretty fast. I packed it full of stuff like usual. Um, I think if you've had bought DVDs in the past, maybe on um, more based like submissions. Um, and, and movement, I think you'll see that this one's a little different. Um, not necessarily contradictory to anything, just different. I just focus on a little different aspects and the quality of the lock, things like that, that I, I still haven't really yet to see many people teach it this way. I just teach it the old way. Um, and then some things I've learned along the way personally. So, and in the DVD, I, I, if I remember correctly, because I usually do this, I'll talk about like, all right, this is an, like an MMA or a combat jiu-jitsu setup, for example. I would do this way because I would integrate the, the slap or the strike into this setup. That's what makes the setup easier is that I, I use this strike to get him to turn as I do this, for example. Uh, and then I'll have ones that are, are just, you know, like, hey, this is a pure trapping system based like control based Kimura. This is how I'm gonna do it and then the different tactics and how to stop the spin and you know some counters as well. I, I just think it came out very, very solid. 
And so if you're like, for example, if you're a big Kamar guy, which a lot of guys are, it's a great, it's a great fundamental submission. Um, and you've watched the other DVDs that have come out and learned from them. I think you guys will really see that this is a little different and you're going to, you're going to learn a lot of essence to it. So I'm a big fan of double wrist lock myself and the Kimura, you know, but I'm also a, you know, another guy, big hands, you know, kind of thing. It's, it, I have, it's a little easier for me than, you know, guys that have maybe different size hands or if you're going against a bigger guy. But I even talk about, you know, if you're a heavyweight, you're going against other heavyweights, their arms are strong. This will probably happen. This is what you can do to adjust that and still have the same success. You know, like I get into every little possibility because I don't, I don't, it is different for, you know, based on who you are and who your opponent is. And I think uh, it's good to know all these things. You know, why would you not want to learn all you could? So I, I think if people go out and purchase it, they are gonna, they're gonna be pretty satisfied. I, I pack a, a lot of information there. I, I do these DVDs like the way I did my book, where you got it. You're not gonna be able to get it through it in one sitting. Just break it down slowly. You know, work on it, and then always go back to it as a reference if you have problems. If something's coming up, come back to it as a reference, you know, and um, and pick it up. And, and once you you learn it, you know, I have a lot of people that write me and send me a lot of fan mail. Sometimes it's just simple. They just say, hey, I, I, I learned, watched your videos. It, it really helped me a lot. And I don't, I try to respond to all of them because it's such a good feeling to get people from all over the world, you know, writing me. Uh, and I'm just sharing information i'm not you know i'm doing what i love to do and uh i know what it was like when i first started and there was no real good specialty coaches you know as far as grappling specialists nearby so you're kind of training at local gyms and clubs but you know the information is it's just not there and but you can't move for example you can't like move to la or you know the some of the hubbed areas that you get to like socal you know, you got to make it work. And when you have this information available, you can research in a DVD or it's free on the internet. It really gives you a chance to try to keep up, um, your knowledge that is competitive with maybe some of the areas that are more thick with jujitsu and have higher levels overall, you know? And, uh, I love seeing those messages I get from those guys. It, it fires me up. It makes me really happy. And I, I get them every day. So I think the DVDs and some of the other things, my people are starting to get, even though I've been around for a while, um, people are starting to take more notice because I've done a lot of free, you know, free videos and, yeah. you know, things with Hayabusa and DJJ Fanatics. And I'm going to keep punching out. I'm going to do a bunch more DVDs. Um, I get a lot of requests for advanced, uh, advanced K control. And I definitely plan on doing that um, in a lot of different areas. And I will do a leg lock DVD. Um, I may film it this year. I'm not sure. I'd have to talk to um, BJJ Fanatics and see when they want to do that. Because my leg lock would be a lot of top game leg lock stuff that you maybe haven't seen. And um, in on, on previous leg lock videos that are already out. So there are some good ones out there. So I just hit on some different areas. And I'll probably cover some of the solid basics as well. You know, so... I, the DVD should be Filthy Camoras. I think that's what it's being called. <laughs> um, and that's a good name for it. So that should be out. You just All you got to do is 
you know, I'll post about it in my social media when it, when it comes out. But oh Lord, if you're on the mail, um, what is it? The mail list uh, for BJJ fanatics, you know, if you're on that, you'll get word. Um, he'll probably send something out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm excited about all these opportunities to learn from you. And you, like you mentioned, uh, you do have a lot of stuff on, on YouTube, uh, just free. Watch that. You get to understand your teaching style. And I, for me, I love it. I love your teaching style. I love we explain things and, and the, you know, in the way you, uh, help visualize what you're, you help me understand, okay, I need to be feeling this and doing this. And then I'm able to translate that onto the mat, which doesn't always happen with the video, but you do a great job of that. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to all these coming out. Uh, it's r- right now, uh, what is it, August 22nd? This will air, I think, September 10th. Uh, so we're kind of working a little bit uh, in the past here as far as what's happening. But any uh, plans locally? What you up to? Um, I'm, well, Riku and are going to be opening up a gym. I'm actually supposed to go see him right now. Um, and that's gonna, we've been wanting to, this has been many, many years of the making. We've been talking about doing this for like six years. So, um, yeah, we're, we're planning on doing our own little, own little gym and starting to do, uh, train some fires together. You know, just, we, he's a great guy and he's really good at what he does. I, it's awesome, you know, having him around to, to learn from as well. Um, it's, it's just, I like doing that. You know, I'm one of those guys that I, I have to, I have to be developing. If I don't, or if I'm not constantly developing, I'm, I'm not happy. You know, I have to grow. If I don't grow and I'm just doing this, then I don't know. It's just not, not fulfilling as, as, as much as it is here. You're being challenged and you're growing and getting better and things like that. We look at why ju- uh, grappling or jiu-jitsu is so enjoyable. There's always room to develop, and you can see your progress. Another thing I think is uh, helping others develop, and you get both those out of uh, out of grappling. So that's awesome. Uh, Alrighty, go ahead. I said, "All right, man." I, All right, I'll let you go, man. Uh, follow follow me on Facebook. Is that a good place? Yeah, that's good. That's a that's a fun. I, I have you on Facebook, and I always see some fun posts by you. And uh, enjoy it. Thanks so much, Neil. I'll let you go. All right. Thank you. Yep. I want to thank Neil Melanz for hopping on the show with me. He's in Las Vegas, so he's he's moved, and he, he's talking about opening up a gym there uh, with Ricky Lundell. So, man, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, if you're interested in his DVDs, uh, BJJ Fanatics is the place to go for that. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's not an affiliate link, so just if you go there, go there. That's, that's all good. But uh, if you're in the Las Vegas area... You like grappling, especially Nogi, or you're considering MMA, or maybe you are in MMA. He is an amazing resource. I mean, you're going to have some of the best uh, grapplers going there and training with him. He's already got that. So <laughs> he's all people seek him out. I mean, when he's training with Randy Couture and, and, and helping him and, and getting help to buy him, man, what, what an awesome. Uh, I mean, that's just a, one example of somebody who he's, who he's been a part of. So if you want to. Fight like Randy. Neil Blanson's your guy. <laughs> it's a tall order, but uh, you need the right coach to do that, and you might as well go to Neil. But anyway, wish him the best of luck in, in uh, anything he does there in Las Vegas. Definitely, like I said earlier, check out his instructionals. They are top-notch. I have learned a ton from him. You can't go wrong looking at him. 
Yeah, it's always nice to uh, expand your knowledge base a little bit. And, you know, what he does isn't necessarily jujitsu. I'm making air quotes here, but uh, it really will add another dimension to your game, especially if you uh, if you're not real good at top control. Uh, watch some of his like his half guard series and and uh, you'll learn some new tricks. I have a training partner who really watched all his half guard stuff. And man, he just became a, a beast rolling with him after he did that. I, I kind of wish he didn't watch it because I used to have my way with him and uh, not anymore. Gary prefers to have his way. <laughs> with the <laughs> men that he rolls with. <laughs> Only with you, Byron. Guys, we have an interesting article written by Mark Mullen. He's been on the show. I uh, really enjoyed having him on the show. Uh, it's on jujitsutimes.com. And uh, we were talking a little bit before this about the title versus what the actual article is. But the article is called, Is It Okay for Beginners to Start Training Nogi Only? And it's kind of a question he, he threw out there and he got different answers. And uh, he's not trying to tell people, don't do not do this. It's like just kind of a, almost more of a comparison of, of what would no gi training look like versus gi training if you pick one of them as a category or is it better to kind of fuse the two or you know what, what are your opinions of the two and uh interesting question i mean we've talked about this in a similar note but he had different opinions here so that's always good yeah just addressing the title you know i just feel like uh you know people train for different reasons and if somebody wants to just go train no gi i'm okay with that so just to answer the title question i'd say yeah it's fine um, but I do like the article. Uh, there's a lot of interesting points in here. I'm going to skip to the uh, second point. You guys can backtrack to point number one if you want. But I like that he points out that the gi improves your defense and no gi makes our offense tighter. And I know there's a lot of debate about which is better for self-defense. And for a while, uh, there was the argument that, well, nobody's going to be wearing a gi on the street. But guys are wearing uh jean jackets and leather jackets and sweatshirts and you're wearing a long sleeve shirt and if you did have to defend yourself and you're used to rolling no gi and somebody starts grabbing onto your sleeve and your collar and um, pulling your jacket over your head it's going to be pretty disorientating and it's a whole new world so that argument's kind of out the window and i and i agree with this point that the gi really improves your defense joe i actually agree with you on that um i am a no gi person I did start in the gi. I don't train very often in the gi anymore, but I really believe that I am a better grappler today due to my gi training. You know, I really do think gi improved my defense. You know, I can't use the sweat to slip out. And, you know, I sit there and think back sometimes, would my defense be where it is without starting in the gi? I I don't think it would be. I, I feel like no gi a lot of times i can slip out of stuff you know based off of sweat and you know when somebody's got a hold of my you know kimono and and you know i don't have that sweat in you know for my advantages to slip out i had to learn learn good technique and i think that really improved my game and uh you know like i said i'm with you joe i think anybody that wants to train however they want should do that um we, you know we can't say what everybody likes but I do believe, uh, you know, the gi definitely helped my defense and made me a better grappler. And I would not be where I'm at today without it. Hey, there's a lot of different opinions on this article. Uh, check it out if you're wanting to, to dive deeper into what he's saying. But 
I, I caution anybody who's starting jujitsu to lock themselves into one of those categories. I'm a no-gi person or I'm a gi person. Really explore both of them. They're so similar. <laughs> Even to the fact that if you go train gi one day and you go train no-gi the next day, a lot of the same people are there. <laughs> you don't have to even meet new people, like uh, have a whole new group Great of strangers. Point. They're going to be the same people a lot of times. If For me, it's just, I, I mentioned it during the interview with Neil, I train whenever I, my time allows me to train, whether it's gi or no gi. I'm, I'm going to bring the right equipment and show up and, and train. It's the same thing for me. But I do see a lot of people who just strictly prefer, I'm just training gi nights or I'm just training no gi times. That's fine. Do what you want to do. Uh, but I think there's some value to cross-training a little bit and, and getting that. But, you know, on the other hand, if if I if I was in Vegas and I trained at Neil Melanson's gym, I'd be an okay guy. I, I'd be perfectly okay saying every day I go train, these guys are training without the gi, that's fine. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd attend gi seminars and, and that sort of thing as well. But um, I don't think, I think i go months without, having to switch from one to the other i don't because it's just my schedule so kind of random it's really not that hard of a transition unless you play like a really like wrap them up in their collar type of a game or really grip based game you don't have anything else to to fall back on you'll have a little bit of growing pains but still so much of it is is just hip movement and being aware what's happening and those sort of things Uh, a little bit of growing pains if you're trying to you know, if you've been doing gi for a couple of years and you go, hey, maybe I'll try no gi. Yeah, sure. The people that you'll do really well with with the gi on are going to have a little better time with you without the gi for a couple of weeks, and then you'll adjust. Yeah, I, I think I trained probably 70-30, mostly in the gi. And now that you mentioned it, Byron, I can't remember a time, certainly not recently, where I've been no gi and like, oh, dang, I can't grab the collar, or dang, I can't grab the sleeve. You know, even just 20, 30% of the time, no gi is enough that, uh, you know, I just, I transition back and forth without even thinking about it. I was going to say, the one I really like uh, is number six. The most important reason to train in the gi, in my opinion, which not my own opinion, but whoever, whatever expert they talk to, is that most areas in the countries will give you access to more classes per week and higher level training partners and coaches. And, you know, being a no gi guy, when I travel, I'll look to see schools and, and, you know, if they have no-gi classes and boy, the no-gi classes are, you know, if, if I didn't bring a kimono, uh, you don't have a lot of choice. It's, uh, there are a lot more gi options at most schools, you know, that I've seen, you know, looked at their websites and talked to people and Hey, the more chance you can train, you know, that it's not like Byron said, you're better off and you know this is my opinion i hate to just tell somebody what to do but i think you're better off you know training both uh you're going to have more more classes if, you know let's say myself if i just started no gi you know i would have really severely limited myself i might have been lucky to get one class a week if uh if you train both uh you know like byron said when you can only train at certain times due to your schedule you're you're free to take any one of those classes that come at that time. You're not just going to not go to a class because it's gi or no gi. You'll you'll take any class possible. Yeah, and, and it's going to help you. That's Gary. That's actually why I train about seventy thirty. It's not because I've decided that's the right ratio for me, but that seems to be kind of the ratio of classes that are available to me. Yeah, you know, um, there's more gi classes than no gi classes. I go and I can, and I carry both sets of equipment and whatever everybody else is wearing. That's what I wear. 
I wanted to back up to point number five because that kind of addresses the actual question in the title a little bit. Uh, point number five uh, says, one experienced black belt instructor offered this opinion. I would encourage them to do the gi first. It's much harder to spaz out and hurt yourself in the gi due to grips and friction. Learning movements that feel weird and won't hurt you and learning how to move so you're less likely to hurt yourself. After three to six months of training, I would open it up and let them train gi or no gi. I think that's a valid point. I hadn't really thought about it before, but um, as, as, a, as a more experienced grappler, when you're grappling with a brand new person, you can limit their movement and their ability to spaz out a little bit. And I, I do suspect that maybe the injury rate is a little bit lower. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And if 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 people are saying you're spazzy, maybe maybe do a few gi classes for a little while until you learn how to slow down. The, the gi will slow you down regardless of what you're trying to do. It'll take off 20% of your speed or something. You know, that's a just a number I throw there. But you're not as fast with a gi on. The grips are a lot more uh, sticky. They, they, they you have to deal with those. It's not a grip on the collar is different than a grip on the back of your neck. You know? Um, so, yeah, the... Basically, it's an interesting question, but do what you enjoy, you know, and and do what you're able to do. If you really like gi, and the only time for gi is on your work nights, try no gi. It's you're gonna love it. It just it'll take you a week or two to adjust a few things, and you'll figure out this is awesome. It, you know, this no gi thing. I suddenly I'm not getting nobody's gi choked me for a long time. Don't let. It's kind of like this. Uh, you know, you, you have a student who loves going to the gym. Part of the the best part of it is is the people. That's a common thing. You know, you get you get to meet everybody and your friends, but you end up you move across town or you move out of the you know city or state or whatever. Are you going to still train? Hopefully, it's kind of annoying that you're you know losing all your your buddies or whatever. But it's perfectly okay to go to a different school, and and. Uh, you know, it's perfectly okay to start training one versus the other. And it's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't think it's a worry about so much about people, what they want to do when they start, because they kind of have something in their head. Let them do it. It's that people lock themselves into to being a, a particular type. And they, like, like when we have no, when we have gi seminars, Gary throws the gi on and he and he does the gi seminar. He, he trains no gi all the time. But it doesn't prevent him from from attending a gi seminar. I'm sure he learns stuff that works fine in the no gi. So, just don't just don't lock yourself into a category that would be detrimental yeah. for your long term training. Yeah. And you know, like you, Byron, when you train with me, you'll you'll train no gi. But we talk about grips and everything. But it's always nice because you always wear that really tight sleeveless leather vest yeah <laughs> and uh it's nice i know you roll in that all the time and and it allows me to use you know grips inside your collar yeah so, well um, you actually kinda... were so nice to me because you outgrew it you know you gained a little bit of weight and you sold to me for a really good deal <laughs> turning the tables on me byron I, I, yes i i have to yeah <laughs> when you're on this show you gotta learn to turn some tables <laughs> a couple of times <laughs> But yeah, Speaking it's a turn at the tables. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a fun article. It's a common question, and if you don't just every now and then think about, am I what's my balance, or if you're just strictly one, what would it be like? Or maybe I should attend a gig class once a month, or or something like that. It's not going to hurt you. You might you might really value your time there. So uh, check out the article written by our buddy 
Mark Mullen. Yep, definitely great article. We've had Mark on the show before, so check that out. Um, you know, great guy, great article. So you don't want to definitely tell your friends about it. Um, you know, this part of the show is where we go with the uh, audio book. It's an audio book that's never going to be released. We, we try to have a little bit of fun with it. And a lot of times we take it off of something that happened on the show. And about 90% of the time, I'm the recipient of it, along with Joe. As Let's Byron, keep with uh, the tradition. As Byron uh, tries to, you know, throw us under the bus. But today we decided we were going to change it around a little bit. You, you just and, decided uh, just now. <laughs> <laughs> but Byron's got a great audio book. Yes. And it kind of goes with what the topic, you know, we we're talking about. And uh, basically it's, uh, bas- the title of it is, How I Have Changed My Nogi BJJ Game to a regular nogi game to nogi with a tight leather sleeveless vest and uh, byron you know changed his game around uh, you know he kind of morphed as a person i guess you would say and started wearing a lot of leather uh, tight leather and really started wearing it on the mats and he said there's a lot of advantages it's really helped out his game and, you know, he wants a lot of people to see what made his game better, and maybe it can help their, their game get that much better. So, Byron, uh, talk about it. You know, I, I know this book, you you also call it the Freddie Mercury effect. So tell us what's going on with this. Yeah, it, it's been a long time in the, in the making here. And, it, you know, really stemming off of some of the creativity I've seen what Gary brings to the mat, and a little bit off of what Joe, you know. Um, Joe's got some really good fashion sense as well. So I, I take these things, combine them, and the the big question with the audiobook is do we call it something that just refers to the vest or do we include the pants in it as well? And we decided just to focus on the vest because that's where uh, you know most of the people uh, are going to be focusing. But, you know, we all a lot of us wear rash guards. Uh, what is the rash car made out of? <laughs> you know, I don't really know. Some kind of a spandex or high-tech material that seems to last forever <laughs> anymore. Uh, but I figured, hey, what's better than a rash guard? It's got to be leather. You know, it's it's actual skin. There's nothing that's going to protect me more than, uh, than that. I play a lot of turtle guard. And turtles aren't known for having like the best kind of a leather you don't see turtle boots or turtle really anything but they do you know everybody just thinks they have a shell they do have skin in there and there are parts of my leather vest that's what you're calling it it is actually made out of turtle and so when i am playing turtle guard it just kind of snaps right into place and really helps me protect my neck and my arms and my legs uh basically impenetrable that's awesome there, Byron. I didn't know about that turtle part, so I definitely learned something. Um, but I know you were talking about, you know, were you going to talk about the pants or yes. just go with the vest? But, you know, tell us about, you know, when you tried the pants, you know, because they don't really breathe. You, you tried two different options. Yeah. I remember you first said you went with the tight leather pants. You couldn't breathe, so you got a lot of uh, fungus and everything down there. So then you tried to, you know, air it out, and you came in with the chaps. <laughs> and you got disqualified from a couple tournaments. So could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah oh, we'll be expanding in this area, Gary. Um, the fungus thing, it, tur- it turns out it was there all along. <laughs> it just thrived in that environment. And, you know, like like any time, um, Gary left a pair of his chaps at my house. <laughs> and uh, they didn't well, fit Joe. 
And I was like, well, I, they don't I really... tried. I, I tried, but uh, nope, they didn't fit. And uh, so I was like, hey, I'll, I'll wear these things. And, you know, this is the first article of clothing that I ever tried from Gary's that didn't give me a fungus. It helped it go away. And, man, I was just really excited about this. And my... They call it a chap triangle. It was really good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I got disqualified before I even stepped on the mat. They said, nope, getting out of here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like Usain Bolt falling out before, you know, the race is even over. I, I was done. Lesson learned. Yes, embarrassing for multiple reasons. Uh, but, you know, dust my chaps off and get back on that horse. <laughs> Joe's got some chaps that he that specifically made out of out of calf hide. And literally, like any sort of calf locks, can't do them. Not because, not because you can't do them, because it's immoral to, to calf lock him in that. <laughs> 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 so this this audiobook will be coming out uh we'll just say that's a, to be determined we're trying to get it to where you could print on a 3d printer uh the chaps and the vest or the regular pants if you want to have no fun and uh but once we get the digital 3d printing done we'll publish it right away guys but definitely if you do read this book and you do decide to try the leather uh, grappling attire make sure you check the rules before you enter the tournament because some of them don't allow the chaps and uh, I'd hate to see you get disqualified after you paid some money and drove drove to a tournament Here, the hits of the whole thing about that I mean it was it made me very frustrated because nowhere in the rules did it say no chaps it had a whole list of submissions I couldn't do but it didn't say you can't wear chaps in this tournament so I thought I was good to go yeah, so maybe you should send an email to the uh, promoter and double check if it's not in the 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 rules. So uh, we just wouldn't want anybody getting uh, getting trouble or get kicked out. Yeah, I need just to send them a, a just send them a picture. You know, hey, here's what I'm looking at wearing. Is this going to be okay? See, I tried that, and uh, most people didn't even reply back. They just deleted me. <laughs> I need to get a hold of the David Karchmer, the grappling referee, and say. What kind of chaps would be legal? And maybe he can give us some guidance on that one. Yeah, we could definitely ask him. I'm guessing he won't even dignify that with a response. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, we do like the grappling referee. Any grappling questions? He's a, been an outstanding resource. Anyway, guys, had a good time. I do want to give a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, no new ones this week. But uh, do want to give a shout out to some continued supporters, Nathan, Mindy, and Gudrun. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. It means a ton. If you want to join the uh, Patreon team, um, go to the link on the show notes. Most people pitch in like a dollar per episode, and uh, it really means a lot to us that, that you're willing to do that, and it helps us out a ton. We're trying to grow the show and make it as good as we can. Uh, we'll send you out a 5-inch BJJ Brick Gee Patch. A sticker you can put on something that can take a sticker, uh, not leather. A sticker won't work on the leather pants or the leather vest. <laughs> the patch would work fine. So take it, you know, put the patch on that. And uh, you're also invited to the, join the private Facebook group where we'll occasionally uh, pop in with some ideas about, uh, you know, future show ideas and, and questions we should be asking people. So uh, thank you guys so much for your continued support on Patreon. 
check us out on social media, guys. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, we've got a BJJ Brick app. If you want to get the show every week and you don't want to have to worry about uh, going to a podcast player, just download the app on your phone. You'll get the show every week. We've got a YouTube channel. Byron's got some reviews on there, uh, some other interesting things, something about a grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, so check us out <laughs> on social media, guys. Speaking of grilled cheese sandwich, I'm getting a little hungry here, guys. Yep, it's time oh, for Gary man, to go eat. Hey, real quick, next week, another amazing episode. Homero Jacare Kovacanchi, uh, the founder of the most successful Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu team, <laughs> Alliance, is going to be joining us next week for an interview. And I was uh, honored to have him uh, be on the show and, and to just get a few minutes, you know, get an interview with him. So uh, look forward to that, my friends. We're going to learn a lot next week. Yeah, talk about a legend. Well, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't wear chaps on the mat. Train hard. Train in chaps if you want. Uh, train smart and get better. We'll see you. Yeah, I guess the question should be, should new people wear chaps or not wear chaps we when can, first starting? <laughs> we can do that next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>